The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and is not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with the 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. And if he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can be my, become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. On July 29, 1974, three Episcopal bishops claiming that obedience to the Spirit justified their action ordained 11 women deacons to the priesthood, the first time Episcopal women were allowed to be priests. There would be con that there would be controversy was no surprise. Two attempts to approve the ordination of women had been narrowly defeated at the 1970 and 1973 General Conventions. For years, these 11 women had been told to be patient, to wait till the time was right, to hold off till the Episcopal Church caught up with the realities of our culture. But they had waited long enough. Many of these women had served the church as deacons, in those days they were called deaconesses, and sought a greater role in church leadership and voice. And so they took a big chance, along with those three bishops who ordained them, facing down the power structure of the Episcopal Church as well as the naysayers in the greater society who felt threatened by these women seeking this role. And everyone in that church on that day, when they were ordained, was in danger. The church was surrounded by police officers. Bomb threats had been made and were a credible fear. What these women would face in the following years in the church they loved and sought to serve would also at times be difficult. One would leave the church entirely. Others would find backs 
turned on them, people refusing to accept communion from them, and they would be denied access to ministry opportunities based only on their gender. The 1976 General Convention would approve the ordination of women to the priesthood and the episcopate of the Episcopal Church beginning January 1st of 1977. It wouldn't be till 1997, 20 years later, that the canons of the church would be revised to prevent any diocese from denying access to the ordination process or to refuse to license a member of the clergy to officiate solely on the grounds of gender. The choice of these few women, regardless of the threats to their well-being, allow me to stand before you this morning. These women and those three bishops took a big chance and paid a big price to change our world. They took today's gospel to heart and were willing to give up the love and respect of family and friends who disagreed with them. They were willing to give up the security of this life to carry the cross and be disciples. They were willing to sacrifice themselves to follow what they understood to be the will of God. The cross meant that much to them. And I wonder, as we look at this cross that we worship under Sunday after Sunday, what does the cross mean to us? That question was a recurring one throughout my own seminary training. A midterm paper in theology in my middler year asked us to explain the meaning of the cross and why Jesus had to die on it. One of the questions of my general ordination exams, a five-day, seven-essay grilling required of graduating seminarians, asked for an explanation of the theories of atonement or why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Theologians have been trying to address this for millennia, with most responses focused on our deep sinfulness and the sacrifices God and Christ were willing to make on our behalf. And those atonement theologies from ages past tell us something about our own faith tradition and the understandings of those who have gone before us. The best theologies are, at their core, human understandings of just what God is doing in the world. But I can't help wondering if our understanding of the cross and just what Jesus means when he tells us to carry the cross are so caught up in the language of sacrifice and sinfulness and personal salvation that we lose the greater meaning. But aren't we supposed to believe that it means something about suffering, something about the forgiveness of our sins? And what would this statement about the cross mean to the people of the first century whom Jesus was addressing in our gospel reading this morning? We see the cross in the light of the resurrection, but these followers of Jesus didn't have that understanding. The cross hadn't happened yet. 
Perhaps to their ears, to carry the cross meant to carry the burdens of those from whom Jesus releases burdens. Perhaps it meant responding to the marginalized, even when that action might have led to their own oppression. But for those hearing this message for the first time, the cross was not a means for their own salvation, because what occurred on the cross had not happened yet. When he said, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, Jesus meant exactly what he said. Follow me. Let my life be an example to you. Let God's mercy and love be known in this place and be willing to live with the consequences of being my disciple. And there is a cost to discipleship. Jesus tells his followers to carefully sit down and estimate the cost to see if we have what it takes to engage in the work of kingdom building that God gives to each and every one of us. To carry the cross might mean letting go of the expectations of this world and our understanding of the good life as our culture defines it. Maybe it means we're meant to live with less. It might mean that we step away from the expectations of our families, resulting in disagreement and maybe estrangement. To carry this cross will shake up our lives and require us to do our own laps in the desert like those people escaping from Egypt, to make hard and unpopular choices. There is, after all, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, no easy and cheap grace. Jesus knows this and tells the crowds following him loud and clear to count the costs. But is it really a cost? Or is it a choice? When the conversation is all about cost, it's about what you give up, what you sacrifice, what you deny. When faith is cast as cost, we fail to see that life itself is rather costly, not just faith itself. Life is full of choices, of counting and weighing the costs. To carry your cross is to carry your choices and burdens and the reality of a life that has made a certain commitment, a commitment hopefully to a way of life that is focused on bringing the kingdom of God now. <clears throat> Since 1974, with the ordination of those first courageous women, I too carried within me the call to ministry. But in those early days, when I was a teenager and a young woman, I made the safe choice, the choice to live a more predictable and less difficult life. Even when the call emerged again in my early 40s, I sat quietly with it for years, growing very slowly into the possibility of priesthood. And God sat with me at that potter's wheel we hear about in the Jeremiah reading this morning. Imagine God sitting with you at that same wheel, 
waiting for you to be ready to make the choice that always lays before you. God splattered and covered in clay, hands raised to begin the work, just waiting for you to say yes. Here's what the cross has come to mean to me. The cross is all that we already know, a time and place of holy love offered on our behalf. But it is so much more than that. The cross is an offering of something far greater than we can imagine, an invitation to a holy adventure that will will surpass any plans we've made for our own lives. The cross allows us to accept all that we are, knowing that we are lovingly created by the artist God, creating in each of us just what the world needs, right here, right now. Our most insignificant gifts, at least in our own eyes, bring something holy into the world. Offering those gifts changes the world and builds God's kingdom. The adventure comes from offering those gifts and seeing just what God does with them. And one of my greatest privileges as a priest is to accompany you as you recognize and offer those gifts, seeing what God is doing in you and for you and through you. The cross is life's greatest adventure. There are costs to be sure, choices to be weighed and measure before moving forward. The world will not always understand or value the choices we make. But every minute of every day, the choice remains before us to pick up that cross and step into the kingdom work God has in mind for each of us into a life far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And in my book, that's a grand and holy adventure. Amen.